In this episode of Ottawa Business Journal's Behind the Headlines, a local landlord shakes up a major Hintonburg development project, MDS Arrows soars past major milestone, and a glimpse at the long post-pandemic recovery faced by a venue and event sector. All this and more coming up right now. Behind the Headlines is brought to you by Nelligan Law. Their profession is the law. Their product is peace of mind. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines for the week of June 21st, 2021. I'm Michael Kern from the Ottawa Business Journal. Behind the Headlines is a regular podcast series from OBJ to explore the most popular stories in uh, Ottawa. I'm happy to be joined, as always, by my two colleagues from OBJ. Here is Peter Cavessi and David Sally. Hello to you both. I'm looking forward to a good uh, good issue here. So we're going to dig right into this. Um, really interesting story to start off with. A development company called CLV uh, is taking the lead on a big uh, Hindenburg project. This is three residential towers planned for Gladstone Avenue, which is right beside the uh, O-Train line, if you can picture it. That's right beside the future Corso Italia LRT station. Uh, kind of cool name. I didn't know that was the name, by the way. And we learned this week the developers have had to uh, start construction until early 2023, but there have been some significant changes to the project. Uh, Peter, give us an update on this. So this is a development project that was originally spearheaded by Trinity Development Group in partnership with uh, CLV and uh, PBC Real Estate Advisors. So what we learned uh, last week is that uh, CLV has now taken the lead. Uh, they're they're going to be now the lead developer of the uh, the project. They purchased uh, Trinity's uh, stake, uh, or they purchased Trinity's stake uh, late last year with the uh, the backing of an unidentified uh, silent uh, investor. What's Particularly interesting about uh, about this story is that uh, CLV here in Ottawa is arguably best known as a, a property manager. They have one of the uh, largest portfolios uh, of uh, rental units uh, in the city. So this move really does shine a light on uh, not only just their their development uh, operations, but really uh, I think illustrates the um, the size and scale of their uh, the development ambitions. Um, here's just you know one other example from uh, from southern Ontario. Uh, in uh, Burlington, which is just uh, west of Toronto, CLV spent uh, several years assembling uh, several land parcels uh, immediately adjacent to the uh, Burlington uh, GO train station, which uh, for those who aren't familiar with uh, Southern Ontario, it's a uh, really high capacity uh, rail line that uh, that links uh, various uh, Southern Ontario communities. And a couple of years ago, CLV entered into uh, a partnership agreement uh, in uh, with uh, with Interrent and uh, and Brookfield to uh, to develop, uh, again, this, uh, the, this project. So you sort of uh, again, CLV is uh, really uh, taking on some uh, ambitious development projects, uh, transit-oriented uh, development projects that are uh, have the potential to reshape entire communities. And Dave, that's not the only change to the project. Tell us about uh, the other big change. Well, that's right, Mike. Uh, so yeah, in addition to the um, to, to the change in the ownership structure, uh, there's also been a um, uh, a bit of a shift in the uh, in the actual. Um, in the, in the actual composition of the, of the development in the sense that um, they've added uh, more units. Uh, now the original proposal when they downsized it because initially these towers are gonna be taller. Uh, they were 41, 35 and 30 in the initial iteration. Then they were downsized two years ago to the current heights. And at that time they were gonna have 745 units. 
Now they're looking at 850 units, and that's going to be a mix of, of, of rental units and condos. Um, now, exactly what that ratio is going to be, they, they don't know yet. Um, I was uh, speaking with uh, CLV President Oz Druniak uh, recently, and he said he said that that mix will depend on market demand. Um, you know, it's still pretty early in the process. They're they're really just getting the zoning approval uh, <laughs> approval process going here. So we know that that takes a little while to get through city hall and um, and do all the consultations. So uh, it's likely going to be um, you, you know going to be a little while yet, 2023 before they start construction. So they've got some time yet to figure out what the mix will be. It's definitely going to be, you know, in the, uh, the typical range of studio, one, two, three bedroom units. Um, but what the final design will be is, um, is still to be determined. We do know, of course, that that's a heritage site. The standard bread building is uh, is is right there at 951 Gladstone. And that was, that, um, uh, th that was built back in 1924. It's a very familiar uh, white building there that's now a um it's an artist sort of um uh it, it it's um it's it's used uh it's used for studio space for artists um and uh and it's going to continue to be used for that once the development is complete it's going to be entirely renovated retrofitted restored uh the exterior is going to be restored to its um to its original state as much as possible and then now and then those units will be rented back out to artists to use a studio space at below market rates. So, uh, so this is going to be a pretty interesting project, which is also going to include office and retail space. So, um, uh, yeah, meant to, of course, uh, kind of provide um, uh, provide more and uh, more mix of retail commercial office space right there on the Trillium uh, line when it's uh, when it opens. Um, hopefully, late next year uh, when that line starts running and. And the developers really expect there's going to be big demand along that corridor. The project, you know, is for me is intriguing in so many ways. One is just its location. It kind of straddles Hintonburg and also the little Italy type side. Uh, but then the heritage aspect too has me really curious about what will happen. So it's got the O train, it's got heritage, uh, a mixed use building now and two interesting neighborhoods. It, it'll be something we need to uh, keep on following. I'm sure you'll do that, Dave. Uh, listen, story number two involves a company called MDS uh, Aero Support. And uh, pardon the pun, it often flies under the radar here in Ottawa. Um, but if you go outside of Ottawa, uh, particularly to some, some of the biggest companies in the world, it's known as a world leader in designing uh, and building gas turbine engine engine testing facility. So it does the testing facility, it doesn't build the uh, engine. So earlier in the pandemic, uh, MDS saw its uh, revenue plummet, uh, probably, you know, because the people in the aerospace uh, sector pressed giant pause button uh, right there. But uh, now it seems to be back on track. And as we say, has uh, plenty of runway for growth. Uh, Dave, tell us about uh, the big milestone it hit recently, very significant. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is uh this was a huge, project. I mean, and, and MD, uh, MDS Aero, is, this, this is no startup. They've been doing this for uh, for over 35 years. Uh, so they know what they're doing when it comes to building these facilities, massive facilities that, that test aircraft engines. But this uh, this was the biggest project in their history that they just that they just put the bow on, so to speak, in Derby, England. And it was for a uh, manufacturer that's um, you know that uh, that has a pretty good reputation. Rolls Royce, you may have heard of them. Uh, 
So MDS Aero, they designed and built this massive facility in Derby, England for them to test aircraft engines. Uh, this thing is, um, it's about the area of a football field, five stories high with concrete walls that are about 10 feet thick. Uh, so, and the price tag came in around $155 million. I mean, so these things, um, you know, the, these things aren't done lightly. Uh, it took three years to build this thing. They, um, uh, and it just took a ton of engineering. Like they've got the facility, the ability here to like dangle these engines from the roof and then, and then Rolls-Royce engineers are going to throw everything literally, but the kitchen sink at these things with the turbine blades spin they want to they want to figure it they, they want to uh, find out just exactly you know uh what they can take in terms of um of, of of punishment uh and they'll actually even break the engine on purpose to see what happens and the other really cool thing is um is while they're doing all this they also x-ray the engine um, um, with a huge uh, obviously a giant x-ray machine this isn't your standard uh you, you know when you go to the hospital uh with, with, a, with a broken leg this, this is a massive thing they have to put a actually a one meter thick steel and concrete shield that slides into place over the entire front of the building so to protect it from other other buildings around it and the workers around it so and they worked with Callian, another auto company on that to design that properly um so uh so it's amazing and uh and it can do, um, as uh, I was talking with uh, John Jastrzemski, the um, CEO, and he was he put it into into very easy to understand terms. That it can measure the thrust of objects as light as a beaver or as heavy as the space shuttle, um, and the degree of of precision that it can measure. He said it's the equivalent to detecting uh, putting a twenty dollar bill on a keg full of beer. So you know that much of a of a difference in pressure it could detect um you know those, those are terms that i think we, we we can all get a handle on and um uh so yeah as you can imagine it took a lot of people uh mds has about 450 employees and about a third of them had a hand in this in one way or the other um and it's uh and and so so mds is really you know hoping that now that um that uh that uh that vaccines are rolling out the economy is starting to rebound that the aviation industry is going to bounce back quickly as well. Uh, its revenues were down from about 150 million before COVID to around 100 million uh, in, in its most recent fiscal year, but it expects expects to get that back on track very quickly and um, and you know start regaining altitude again, uh, Mike. And this is just a great another great local tech story with some really um, really cool stuff going on here. Yeah, an, an example of one of those companies where you say that company is located in Ottawa. Uh, by the way, it's just off Innes Road. I was in their uh, offices uh, a few months, maybe before the pandemic. Uh, and there's a great YouTube video, a time lapse uh, photography of the assembly of that massive uh, football field size building. Uh, you could probably Google it. Listen, uh, Peter and Dave, before we explore the last story of the day, I want to bring in our legal expert from Nelligan Law. Craig uh, O'Brien is a partner in the firm's litigation, business insurance, and construction law groups. Welcome, Craig. Good afternoon, Michael. Good to be here. 
Yeah, uh, we're so happy to have you with us here today. So listen, Main Street retailers in particular have been suffering so much. So, you know, I'm envisioning restaurants, uh, small fashion boutiques, uh, stores like that, Craig. And they've been suffering, of course, because they've been shut down and, and they're under this financial duress. And I imagine that creates a lot of conflict with their landlords, right? They're they're not able to perform. They can't pay their potentially rent. What would you? What advice would you give uh, to these people? Well, Michael, there's a lot of pain to go around. Frankly, um, both the landlords and the tenants in that situation are hurting now. Unlike the residential um, real estate market, commercial landlords, particularly those on on High Street. Uh, who own two or three buildings and have their commercial tenants in there, they haven't been provided nearly the same protection as residential um, mortgages have been. And as a result, you, you have a lot of pain from the tenants and a lot of pain from the landlords, which really limits the options that either or both have when um, a commercial tenant is not able to pay their rent. The way that they have been dealing with this thus far, and we've had some pretty decent success in negotiating deals where a commercial tenant will ultimately pay a much reduced amount, but enough to keep the landlord alive. And with the understanding that both need to cooperate for their mutual survival, and that if either pushes their legal rates too hard under the lease, it'll be to their collective detriment. Wow, this this is really uh, interesting. I was thinking about it from the tenant perspective, but you're quite right saying, well, look, there's there's two parties under duress here. Um, would I be right in assuming, Craig, that one of the pieces of advice you'd give to a tenant is is be proactive in this, like start the discussion with your landlord. Don't start. In other words, don't start ghosting your landlord. Yes. And sadly, I have not had um, 100% success at being able to negotiate good deals with, uh, with landlords on behalf of tenants. And it's almost always because the tenant has um, attempted to pull an ostrich and put their head in the sand and ignore the problem. And by the time the, uh, the tenant finally does go to their landlord with a proposal, the goodwill has been utterly exhausted. And in those um, scenarios, it is really problematic for a commercial tenant. It always fascinates me, Craig. You know, we're, we're talking about law here, but uh, we're also talking about the dynamics of negotiation and just kind of good faith relationships with suppliers, right? So that, that must be something you deal with almost on a daily basis. After a lot of law school, I am doing mainly um, negotiating deals at this stage uh, of my practice because of exactly that. You know, the, the commercial tenant wants to keep their space because eventually we will reopen and they will be able to be profitable once again. They don't want to fit up a new space. They don't want to get evicted and have to be battling over their tables and chairs and, and the equipment and fixtures that are in there. And a commercial landlord wants to keep their tenants in place because having a vacant storefront unleased for months and months and months causes further damage um, in an already very difficult financial environment for all of them. Great advice, as always, from Nelligan Law. Craig, thanks for being here today. Thank you.
Thanks again to Craig. We appreciate the ongoing support of Nelligan O'Brien Payne in supporting Behind the Headlines. So let's go to our uh, third and final story uh, of this episode. And this one, I mean, all of them intrigued me, but this this one's pretty cool. It involves a... Um, a Italian uh, banquet facility or a banquet facility in Little Italy, typically known uh, as a as a venue really for weddings. Uh, Sala San Marco, I'm sure that name is uh, recognized by many of you. It's used for weddings and graduations, anniversary parties, and that's been going on for decades and decades. So now a portion of the facility uh, will become an, an Italian food store called Mercato Zacconi. It'll carry uh, prepared foods and cheeses and meats and fruits and vegetables, wood-fired pizza, homemade pasta, wine and beer. I think I just want to live there or at <laughs> least move in beside the place because it sounds fantastic. Uh, Peter, exciting news for a really interesting neighborhood in the city. Uh, but it also says something uh, that's a little bit of a dramatic statement about... Um, the fragility around this part of the uh, local economy, and I'm, I'm referring to banquet halls and uh, meeting places. Tell us about that. So, you know, I think it's a pretty easy argument to make that uh, venues and event spaces have been among the, the hardest hit uh, sectors uh, by uh, by COVID-19. What this story really lays bare is how long some people within that sector believe it's going to take for the industry to to recover. So uh, just take a bit of a step back, you know, South San Marco, like, like a lot of businesses, uh, when the pandemic first hit last year, they spent a few months just seeing if they could wait it out and seeing how quickly things would bounce back. But by about last fall, it became clear that uh, that they needed to be a bit more proactive and start looking at, uh, at other options. Um, you know, but there is one quote from, from owner Tony Zacconi that really jumped out, you know, to me. He, you know, he told our colleague, uh, Caroline Phillips, I think it's going to be a long time before people want to get into a room with 300 other people again. And that just really jumped out to me and made me think, well, even after we're all vaccinated and it's safe, in theory, to get together again, how quickly are people going to want to get together again in these big, large groups? And, you know, Zacconi also sort of, you know, hinted at, well, is it possible the world has changed as well? Are all the video conferencing tools that have become part of our day-to-day -day life, are those going to persist and change, you know, permanently change or at least change for, you know, foreseeable future, how we all get together, how we, you know, meet and, uh, and, and gather. So, you know, we've often heard that, you know, the broader tourism and hospi hospitality sector is likely, you know, is the first hit, the hardest hit, and uh, likely going to be the last uh, to, uh, to to recover. Um, so this really sort of puts, uh, I'm going to say, well, I hate to say it, but it's sort of a face to, uh, to, to that narrative. Um, there are though a couple other other parts of this of this story that uh, that jumped out at, uh, at me. There were some other shifts uh, within that sector already that were underway. You know, as Zaconi uh, said uh, that uh, that uh, even before the pandemic, the days of the you know the five hundred person weddings had, were sort of in the twilight and weren't seeing that many uh, super large uh, gatherings of those types uh, anymore. And one other you know part of the the narrative that really sort of stood out to me is that this is a bit of. Um, well, you could say that this is a case of a family business coming full circle uh, a little bit. Um, so Sal San Marco was founded uh, 34 years ago by uh, Zacconi's parents. Uh, however, his grandparents before that had actually operated a, uh, a confectionery store on Bell Street, which is just a little bit uh, east of uh, Preston Street uh, be before that. And, uh, and now the, uh, the family is getting back into the, uh, the food retail business. So, uh, so certainly from, from that perspective, it's a, uh, it's a great uh, Ottawa entrepreneurial story. Uh, 
I agree with uh, everything said, and also that um, Preston Street really needed a grocery, right? Uh, this is something the business improvement area, the BIA, has been uh, lobbying for for years. So uh, I think it's just so clever, right? Instead of sitting back and and dealing with uncertainty for an well an uncertain amount of time, quite frankly, they're kind of got ahead of this, so they'll still have, you know, they'll still do what they're best known for, which is uh, hosting events. But then something that they're also kind of known for is is great food and that, and but they're gonna they're gonna use that food or sell that food in a different way besides you know giant uh, 400, 500 uh, Italian weddings. So, listen, Dave, thanks for everything uh, that uh, you've done in the past uh, couple of weeks there, and thanks for your contributions, Peter. We're gonna start wrapping up. What are you uh, working on at OBJ, Peter? Well, one of the most uh, important days in uh, in OBJ's uh, calendar is uh, just around the corner. It's the uh, the forty under forty uh, annual uh, awards is uh, coming up on uh, June twenty third. Of course, uh, again, unfortunately, this year we're not able to uh, to gather all the recipients and all their their supporters uh, in person. But uh, we've been uh, doing our part about. Um, uh, publishing profiles uh, online at obj.ca of the recipients. And Mike, you've been working really hard uh, in preparing a really, really special uh, virtual uh, celebration that uh, people should definitely, definitely uh, tune into. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been uh, hard at work on. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, we've been at work for 40 under 40 for months, uh, you know, decided the recipients, we, we did a, a great, uh, great issue. So in our print, uh, quarterly print news magazine, we talked about the last time, but what's coming up on uh, this Wednesday, the 23rd is the, is the show. Uh, so we'll have two uh, great guests uh, returning, uh, Mark Sutcliffe and Sandra Plagakis. Uh, Mark, a uh, uh, co-founder of OBJ way back when, and Sandra, a radio host from KISS FM. They'll be the hosts. We've got a musical guest. Guest will officially present, you know, the 40 under 40 uh, for the 2021 uh, cohort. We'll hear from them. We've got lots of different clips, uh, hear from notable uh, business leaders, sharing their congratulations and insights. So it's a, I think it's a great show. Uh, big thanks to Rogers TV, by the way. We're, we're putting this one together. Um, as a real professional broadcast, uh, hopefully reaching an even higher level. So that's coming up on Wednesday, June 23rd. I know we're beating that, be, beating people over the head with that. Uh, the best place to go to uh, get the watch details, by the way, is go to ottawabot.ca. Go to the calendar section. Look at the calendar on June 23rd. There's a link. Register, and then you'll get a whole bunch of information on uh, on what's happening. So thanks, Peter, for everything that you've done and all the hard work uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. A reminder, this podcast can be watched. If you're on YouTube, you know that. Or listen to uh, to watch it. Go to OBJ's YouTube channel. Be sure to like uh, and subscribe and click the bell. That way you'll be notified when we post new videos. You can also listen on all major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, SoundCloud, Twitch. Uh, I encourage you local business news junkies to visit obj.ca. That's our website, of course, uh, every weekday for constantly updated stories. And if you never want to miss a headline, the thing to do is uh, to subscribe to OBJ Today. That's a weekday email newsletter. You can go to obj.ca slash newsletter slash sign up. On behalf of my colleagues, Peter and, Dave, Peter and David, thanks for tuning in. Please stay connected and stay healthy. Hope to see you real soon. Bye-bye.